Welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. My name is Kyle Whistle, your host with Whistle Realty Group and EXP Realty in San Diego. My name is Brian Kochi, Marketing Director here at Whistle Realty Group. The goal of our show is to give you the tools, techniques, and tactics that you need to go out there and crush it in your business, whether that be real estate, mortgage, or really just any business out there. Our goal is to give you as much content as we can in 30 minutes or less. We want this to be the show that you can consume on your way to or from the office. If you enjoy the show today, we'd love it if you could hook us up with a review if on one of the podcast platforms, if you are listening, or if you're watching on YouTube, um, give us a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button, and the uh, little notification bell so you can find out when we drop some new episodes for you. Um, the way we like to run the show is rather than guessing at what we should talk about, we just listen to you, and you get to tell us what you want us to talk about. And the way we do that is by um, finding out what you guys want to hear about when you join the Whistle Way uh, Facebook group, or you can go on the whistleway.com and ask us questions on there. So uh, the whistleway.com, in addition to joining the Facebook group and asking questions, you can also subscribe to the podcast, the YouTube channel, our referral network for all the outbound referrals from everyone leaving California, and find out about upcoming events like our Media Mayor Mastermind, which is a, a super deep dive into everything Brian and I have learned in six years of creating videos together. Yep. Yep. Cool. What do we got Slide today, down. Brian? Uh, we're talking about money today. Cool. So obviously, uh, we're all in business, in some sort of business to make some sort of money. Um, but there are more than one way, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Oh, Trust me, I know. Is that tough for you to hear, to like talk about? You love cats so much. Yeah. Is it weird to talk about skinning them? Yeah. Never actually thought about it, thought about it. But anyway, um, one of the things that comes Brian up over and over and over cats. again, this is true. Um, one of the things that comes up over and over and again is talking about other ways you can make money besides just selling real estate. Obviously, you spend the majority of your time, all of our agents spend all of their waking time uh, um, working on helping sell real estate. But what are some things you can do that could be considered passive or kind of run in the background? Yeah, for that sure. are in line with our industry. Yeah, I would say there's two primary ways um, and then there's a tertiary way that real estate agents, tertiary. you like that word? I like that word. Um, and then there's a tertiary way that realtors can also bring in income. So the two primary ways um, are one, getting into flipping real estate, Okay. which there's like 500 flipping shows on TV now. Obviously, people, everybody wants to flip a property at some point in their life. And some people are really good at it and do it a lot. And some people are terrible at it and should never do it again. And they um, so usually don't. <laughs> yeah. So flipping would be uh, number one. Number two would be buying investment real estate. Okay. And then number three would be um, getting involved with a company that has something like a profit sharing, revenue sharing type um, opportunity as you help the company grow. Cool. So let's talk about flipping first. If, cool. if an agent hears this, I'm assuming they, they have had some sort of experience either working with a flipper having a buyer look at a flipped property, there should be some experience. I mean, if you've watched HGTV, you're pretty much a professional flipper at this point, right? Okay, so the next yeah. one. Um, no, so if, if someone wants to get started in flipping, what what should you look at? What what are some kind of pitfalls to avoid? Yeah. Where do you even start? I mean, I know that so, that I mean, the be... number one thing to do is to not watch the HGTV shows because cool. they're totally unrealistic. Um, they don't tell you anything about the most important part of flipping, which is finding deals. Finding deals is everything in flipping. All the rest is easy. Um, finding money, finding contractors, all that other shit's easy. Finding the deals is the hardest part of flipping. So how do you find deals? How do you really get into the space? 
uh, virtually every city across America has investment clubs in them. Here in San Diego, I can name five of them um, just locally in San Diego. So whether you're in a big city like us or you're in a small city in the Midwest, there's going to be a, an investment club. And if there isn't, guess what? That's called opportunity uh, for you to start an investment club. And so investment clubs can be great. Most of them get together once a month. They usually have a big speaker um, that everybody comes to hear from. It's usually somebody who is flipping or a national speaker who's traveling. Maybe they have a book or some sort of product they want to push. Um, but you get a big speaker to come in. Um, there's usually a nice haves and wants section where people get up and say, like, I have this property. I'm looking for an investor. Or I have a ton of cash and I'm looking for properties or things along those lines. Um, there's also some networking opportunities, education opportunities. So those investment clubs are great because now you're, you're getting to mix and mingle with people that are local and active investors. Um, so that's a, a fantastic place to get rolling locally. Um, and then, uh, you know, online, biggerpockets.com is definitely the go-to source for anything real estate investment related. Um, so I would definitely get involved in Bigger Pockets and their forums and groups and everything like that. There's a ton of fantastic information in there um, from people that are really sharing, you know, what they're doing. These are people that are actively out there doing it. They're not just selling education. I would say 90% of the people that are selling education on how to flip their classes are bullshit. Um, very, very few of them are really good. Um, if I was going to take classes anywhere, fortune builders, I've worked with a lot of investors who learned from fortune builders and had a really good experience. So if I was going to attest to any like actual training company, that would be the one. Um, cause I, I've worked with many people who started through fortune builders and are now, you know, flipping a ton of homes. So, uh, that's a good sign. Good. Um, so there's three sources, local investment clubs, biggerpockets.com and fortune builders well and to be honest there I, I know this has happened to you before there's been listing appointments that you've gone on that you go this would make a really good flip too right yeah um so how would you determine if that makes it and you also have to be careful and i i've learned this from you which i really appreciate you have to be careful that you're not taking advantage of people right so how do you kind of find a prop if, if you get invited to a property that you go oh this is going to be a good flip how do you do it without making 300 grand and the person's pissed at you. Yeah, when you have a real estate license, you have to be careful. Um, you don't want to screw somebody over and lose your license over a single deal that you might make 50 grand on. So um, the key is just presenting the options to the seller and say, look, here's what I can do. I, If you want, I'll buy the property as is, no commission. You could tell me when you want to close and, and I'm willing to pay this. Or we can put the property on the market as is and I could sell it for that. Or we could rehab the property and sell it for, you know, an even higher number. You know, which way would you like to go and leave it up to the seller? You know, as long as you lay out the options to them, you do want to cover your, your bases and, you know, have some stuff written down as far as what you offered, how you presented it, all that just in case. Um, but as long as you lay the options out, it's not up to us to decide, right? Like in our head, the thing that makes the most sense is rehab the property, sell it for the most money. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. Maybe they don't have the time. Maybe they just need the money now. They got, I mean, it's a freaking COVID world. They might have somebody who's sick in the hospital need money. Like you never know what somebody's situation is. So it's not up to us to make that decision for them. Our job is just to present the options and let them make that decision. Cool. Anything else you want to add to kind of the flipping world? Um, I think the biggest thing I would say is when I was um, newer in real estate, Every time I'd find a good flip, I was so excited to call all my flippers and tell them about it. And now my flippers are like, why don't you call me anymore? I'm like, because I buy them all myself. 
Um, so the thing I've learned, as I mentioned earlier, is that if you have the deals is the hardest part. Finding the properties is the hardest part of flipping. Once you have the properties, finding the money, contractors, that part's easy, relatively speaking. So next time you have a deal, don't run and jump on the phone and call your favorite investor. Become the investor. Cool. Makes you going from a little bit to a lot of it. Yeah, and it's a fantastic experience for you to go through to understand. Because now, can you find shitty contractors? Absolutely. So understanding what does that experience look like of like finding a contractor, hiring them, building a scope of work, paying them, all that stuff. You should go through that at some point because a lot of your clients are going to go through that. So you should have some experience on how that works. And then hopefully you find someone that's great and then you have a good referral. Yes, sir. Cool. Okay, so the second one is investment properties. Yep. Talk about that. So this is probably the most common. Um, a lot of people set a goal to buy an investment property every year, every five years, every 10 years, whatever it is, um, in their real estate career. And I'm a huge fan of owning uh, investment real estate for a couple of reasons. Number one is over the course of time, real estate values have always gone up. Depending on where you live, that number could be anywhere from one to 10, I don't know if anywhere is 10, one to 5% per year on average. Uh, San Diego, if you look at a 80 year historical average, it's like five or 6% per year. So um, values will always go up in the long run. Will they have years where they go down? Absolutely. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Even rainbows have a downside. Um, they're not, it's not always upside. Um, things go up, things go down. But as long as you're buying for the long term, values are always gonna go up in the long run. You've never met anybody who bought a property 20 years ago and the property is now worth less than what they paid for it. I actually had a meeting with a client today. They bought their house for 348 and is now worth a million fifty. Oh. And now you're like, oh, a million fifty is so much money. But it's worth what, three times what they paid for it? Yeah. What's it gonna be worth twenty years from now? It's probably a three million dollar property. Just think inflation alone of like three percent a year, it you know, values are just naturally gonna go up. So uh, incomes are constantly going up. Shit, so you can buy like a three hundred thousand dollar house on minimum wage now. Um, so values are gonna consistently drive up. So I love it for the fact that I'm buying an asset that's going to increase in value um, over the course of time. And then here's what's beautiful is while the value of the property is increasing, I'm getting to uh, a lot of times bring in some cash flow from it. And then I'm able to get a tax write-off by depreciating it. So I'm getting a triple whammy there because how I'm, can you depreciate it if it increases in value that's the fucked up part huh <laughs> that's why i love investment real estate that, yeah how crazy <laughs> is that right so here's the way that this works is um right we said values on average are five percent a year over the course of time so you buy something today for um let's just call it five hundred thousand dollars going up five percent a year um then you rent this thing out now you're going to take all of the expenses you have your um, principal interest taxes, insurance, improvements, utilities, management, all those things are expenses. And you're going to, you know, go look at what the income is. And if there's any positive income after you go income minus expenses, you do have to claim that income. Okay. So if you are cash flowing, you are going to pay taxes on the cash flow, but that's cash flow. It's okay yeah. to pay taxes on cash flow. Um, but then you get to depreciate the property as well. So the way the IRS looks at it is if it's a residential investment property, they, take, they tell you that the um, life expectancy of a property is 27 and a half years because every year somebody lives in it, the property is going to deteriorate in condition, right? Okay. In theory. Um, so you take the value of the property divided by 27 and a half and you get that much right off every single year for 27 and a half years. So if it was a $550,000 property, just to make numbers easy, that's a 
$20,000 write-off every year if, if you own you, a $550,000 property. What if it's already like a 30-year-old property? Doesn't matter. Twenty seven. You buy it, you take, you, yeah, whatever you pay for it, divided by 27 and a half, and you write that much off every year. Now, if you held it for 50 years, you can still write? No, only for 27, 27 and a half years. Okay. Yep. Okay. So what a lot of people will do if they're real long-term investors is they'll buy it, they'll depreciate it for 27 and a half years, and then once you can't depreciate anymore, now you maybe don't want to hold that property, so then you sell it. If you sell it, you're going to have to recapture all of those gains, which would be terrible. So then you do a 1031 exchange, you roll into a bigger property, and you start the 27 and a half years all over again. So here's what's cool is you're getting cash flow and the value is appreciating, and then you're depreciating on your taxes. It's just an insane life hack. And the fact that everybody doesn't own a ton of rental property that's in real estate is crazy to me. All right. I'm going to buy a ton. Can I, can I buy a couple now? Yeah, let's go. I'll buy some of yours. <laughs> um, Okay, another thing that I've heard you talk about a lot is don't manage your own rental properties. Correct. Talk about that. Yeah, it fucking sucks. <laughs> Simple. All right, next stop. Um, there's a couple problems when you self-manage. Number one is most of us have a heart, and a heart and property management don't mix very well. So your tenant will tell you, like, oh, I can't afford rent. I lost my job this month. Uh, can I pay you on the 10th? Sure, no problem. 10th rolls around. Oh, oh I, I just got a job, but I don't have my first paycheck. Can I pay you on the 20th? Oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. Oh, you know what? The job didn't work out. Um, I'm going to need a little more time. Like, that's what happens. Yeah. You can't do that shit. Yeah. The third, the fifth, however your rental contracts work, as soon as you can give notice for non-payment, you have to. You can't budge. You can't take partial payments. You, you can't have a heart. Well, the you, nice thing about property managers is it's not that they don't have a heart, but they have a boss. Yeah. They go, oh, sorry, I can't. This is what the rules say. This is So I don't want to give property managers a bad rap out there. No. Because they have a heart, but they have a boss. And but they, have a, they, they have to follow within those lines. Yeah. Uh, so it can be really tough to self-manage. Um, and it's just, you know, if you're a, a top-producing realtor, if you have the income level, you can go afford an investment property. Your time is worth way too much for you to do that. Because most... Um, Rental property managers are charging 5 to 10% of the collected rent. So, I mean, if you have a unit that is a $1,000 a month unit, you're paying like 50 to 100 bucks a month for somebody to manage that. Like, just the time it's taking you to collect the rent, deposit the rent, take a phone call over a clogged toilet, like, it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's, and it's just a, the biggest thing is not only is it just not financially worth it, it's such a distraction to your life because when the tenant calls and the toilet's clogged, like, it's got to get fixed now. Yep. It's not like you can like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that later today when I have it time blocked. Like, you don't get to time block, you know, fires and uh, break-ins and all that stuff. Like, that, those take precedent. So it's just not a good idea. Maybe you want to manage one for like six months just so you can see how terrible it is. Cool. Um, but I would not recommend anybody in the real estate industry self-manage. Hire a property manager. And then the good thing is most property managers will give you a hookup because they realize that you have the ability to direct future business to them. So they'll do it for less money for you, hopefully. And they're going to do a way better job because they want to impress you. Yep. Um, so in order to buy an investment property, you have to have 25% down tip Typically, yeah, 25% if it's going to be a, a full investment property. But what you could do is buy a multi-unit property, live in one. That's where I was going. There you go. Teeing it up. I got yep. you. So you could buy like a four-unit property. Um, and you could buy that with a VA loan. Okay. 
It could. I mean, if you're zero military, down. zero down. If you're FHA, three and a half percent down. You could buy a property with very, very little down. And now let's just say they're four equally sized units just to make this easy. Um, and it's a million dollar property. So the way it would work is the way you write off the 25% you live in would be like, let's just essentially for tax purposes, it's for $250,000 properties. Yep. Um, so the, the one quarter of it, you're going to write off like you would your primary residence where you're going to write off the interest, um, the taxes and any improvements you make. So that's how you're going to handle 25% of it. You're not going to get depreciation there. But then the other 75% of the property, so $750,000 worth of property, on that side of it, now every expense is going to be a expense in your income. So you're going to have your income and expenses. But now all the expenses, including utilities and all that, is going to factor in. Um, so you're going to have whatever profit there is. Um, and then you're going to get depreciation on that 75% of the property. So gotcha. you would take that 750000 because that's 75% of the million, um, 750,000 divided by 27 and a half. I don't know what that is off the top of my head. So let's call it 30 grand. Um, then you're going to get to write off 30 grand a year for that. So you're actually being able to get yourself into investment property, but not have to go put 25% down. And that's how I got in the game is the first place I ever bought was a triplex. I lived cool. in one and rented out the other two. And you can do it. Is it different in states or states different? I think I you can think do so. that up to four units, right? Up to uh, four, yeah. To Once four you go units. over four units, it's considered commercial property, and the financing's totally different. Cool. Okay, so we talked about flipping. We talked about investment properties. Yep. Um, connecting with a company that offers yeah. rev share. Yeah, so different whatever. real estate companies out there. Every company wants to grow, um, and so there's really like three primary ways that they can incentivize you. Um, some of them will give you uh, like a bonus. If you can bring an agent over, um, and when they close their first deal, we'll give you like 500 bucks or some sort of incentive. So you can just earn incentives for helping a company grow. Um, and then other companies out there have either a profit sharing or a revenue sharing component. So the difference between profit sharing and revenue sharing is profit is based off the profit um, after oh, expenses. thank you. That's, that's helpful. <laughs> Some people get confused on this and they don't understand the difference between revenue share and profit share. So um, with a profit share company is they're going to take all the money that came into that office, subtract all of the expenses. And if there's profit left over, they will share that back with the agents based on how many agents they've attracted into the company. Sounds fair. And a revenue share based company is going to do something very similar, except it's not based on expenses don't factor in. It's just off the top. So they look at the revenue that was brought into the company and they share that with the agents based on how many agents they have brought into the company. Cool. And so, um, whether it be revenue share, profit share, any of these models, there's there's people who make a few hundred bucks a month. There's people making a few thousand bucks a month. There's people who make hundred plus thousand dollars a month, um, just depending on their level of commitment and and the time at which they got into these companies. And now these are the three big ones. There's obviously you can all obviously do things that are. I mean, some different. people start a mortgage company or start all these other things. Um, so there's a lot of other like spinoff companies you could do. Some people yep. start a contracting company and a window washing company. I mean, you could definitely spin other businesses off. Staging company. Staging is another one. Yeah. So I mean, you could always spin off another company as well. Um, that would be another, I mean, if you want to call it a, a fourth option. Cool. Or a fifth option even is uh, you can send out referrals to other people outside of the, your city, right? You could do send I mean, out referrals. You could sell education too, right? Like we have our Media Mayor Mastermind, you basically take something Brian and I have shot thousands of videos over the years for six years and sharing 
you know, our experience with that and teaching other people. So, I mean, education is always another opportunity. Cool. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. All right, let's cover them all in depth. Ready? Go. <laughs> all right, cool. Let's go. All right, well, hopefully you guys got some value out of that. If you want to explore any of those things further, I'm happy to. You can always shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Kyle Whistle. I'm always happy to share or dive into that stuff a little bit further. Um, the way we like to wrap the show up is to share something we like to refer to as the Whistle Widget of the Week. This is something we're utilizing in our business. It saves us time, makes us more money, or helps us have more fun. What do you got today, Brian? So this one I could have sworn we had covered, but I looked at the list, didn't see it. And this is a a tool that all three of us in the media team have recently uh, come into contact with. Um, and it's to help the kind of fatigue you get when sitting at the computer for long terms, long periods of time. Um, and it's a standing desk. So the one we have is from Autonomous. Um, we actually didn't end up getting their desktop. We went to Ikea to get their desktop. Um, but now all of us have our dual monitors, our computer, all of this on a on a standing desk and all we got to do is hit a button it raises up we can stand work through it that way um, I really enjoy it I, I enjoy it more than I thought I would <coughs> now I gotta spend some money and get a light that I can attach to my desk and I've got some work to do but it's a it's a really cool process and I think it's I think I think they sell for sorry like 300 bucks, 300 bucks on a yeah. bare minimum yeah so I like it so much, I'm honestly trying to figure out a way I can get one for home. So that way, when it's time to change a diaper in the middle of the night, I can rain, raise the changing table because it's so low. It's not so low, but it's, it's low enough that I'm like, I want to get a desk to raise this changing table, but I'm not going to yet. All right. That's, my, that's mine. The one I got for you, um, I know a lot of gamers out there. Thomas, who uh, produces our show, is a gamer. I, I started pulling these out. He got pretty excited. Um, anytime he could play a game. I wish everyone could see, see Thomas Thomas's face. face. Like he, the excitement on his face. <laughs> yeah. He had um, no change in emotion. Zero change in emotion. He just kind of nodded slowly. <laughs> it was like this. Yeah. Um, all right, this is a game that first, I first played many years ago. I actually got introduced to it um, through one of the investment clubs that I was a, a part of. Um, and it's a board game by Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so this is a very cool game, if you guys are watching on YouTube. Uh, it is called Cashflow, and it's from Rich Dad. Um, and it's all about how to get out of that rat race. So it can literally feel how heavy this beast is, Brian. Oh, shit. Um, it is a really is cool board game. Money? It's like... Think about the game of life, but like an adult version of the game of life. It's really cool to help you understand what it's like to like buy investment properties and and build retirement accounts and all kinds of fun stuff. But like in a probably think like of an adult life game. Adult plus uh, adult adult life plus Monopoly. Sure. sure. Yeah. Like life plus Monopoly, but like real shit. Um, Is COVID in there? Maybe that's the 3.0 <laughs> version. Yeah, you, you might pull a COVID card or something. <laughs> I don't know. And then everything gets fucked up. Um, so check it out. Cash flow from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, there's a 101, and now apparently there's a 202 version, which I've not played yet, but I got it. So I uh, picked some of these bad boys up on Black Friday. And this is a this thing weighs like 15 pounds probably. And You could use it as there. a uh, post hole digger. Yeah, it's about as heavy <laughs> as the post hole driver I dropped on my head this weekend. Um, so check that out, Cash Flow. Uh, for Rich Dad Poor Dad, it's, it's a great game if you want to get some financial literacy for you, your friends, your team, your family, all that stuff. It's pretty cool. 
Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's what we got for you today. Again, if you have questions you want to have answered on a future episode of the show, go to thewhistleway.com. We'll answer your questions. You can join the Facebook group, join uh, our referral network, subscribe to the YouTube channel, the podcast, and find out about upcoming events like our Media Mayor Mastermind and our business planning events that we're putting together. So uh, if you enjoyed the show today, if you're listening on a podcast platform, really appreciate it if you can give us a, a review on there. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button and the little notification bell so you get alerted when we have future episodes of the show. That's what we got for you today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Whistleway Podcast. See ya.